we'll have a little break, five minutes in between where everybody's tired of thinking. And then I'll go, hey, let's look at these bird flashcards. Here's some of the birds that you might see in your yard. And so I'll get, get them started that way. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. This is Annalise Corbin with Learning in Box, and we're very excited, as always, to welcome a new guest to the program. And today is one of my all-time favorite teachers um, on pretty much on the entire planet. Uh, joining me today is uh, Kelly Preheim. Kelly is a kindergarten teacher in Armour, South Dakota. And I am very, very excited, Kelly, to have you with us today. Thank you, Annalise. So um, I'm going to have to do just a touch of storytelling to sort of set the context. And you should, we should all imagine uh, Kelly turning bright red because I only have awesome things to say about her. But a truly, truly, truly one of my all-time favorite teachers. And the region that Kelly and her kindergarten kiddos in Armour, South Dakota are my favorite is because the journey that they have um, been on on. And so just to sort of um, help our listeners understand, I met Kelly uh, many years ago now when we were working on a project in the Dakotas with the Clinton Global Initiative and a number of other uh, different partners around bringing STEM education to rural areas. And uh, Armour is um, in rural South Dakota. Yes, Kelly? It is. <laughs> and what, what's the total population of the town of Armour? So folks understand what we're talking about when we say rural. Around 800. 800. 800. And how many, how many kids in the school do you think roughly? Uh, around 150. Yeah. So this is one of those little small schools, small but mighty. The things that they're able to do in this town in part because it's small and rural and very intimate, um, I think are part of what makes the school and Kelly's work so successful. But I met Kelly as we were coming into the state as part of a statewide initiative. And like I said, a number of different partners all around trying to bring STEM education, problem-based instruction into that part of the United States. And Kelly and her colleagues at Armour uh, School District were one of the teams that joined the project. And lots of teachers, as we know, uh, starting these new things are, are a bit reluctant, not because they don't want to, but because it's all the giant unknown. And I think, is that for you, Kelly? There was a lot of unknown, yes? There was, there was. And I wanted to do it right. And I just didn't know exactly how to get going. And and the thing that I loved so much is as we started the training, and again, this is part of the story that I do tell about Kelly, is that, you know, as we we sort of rolled into the training around how do you transition or flip classrooms from traditional instruction to more of a problem-based or an applied um, environment, recognizing you're not doing it all the time, but you're trying to do it as often as you can with your kiddos. What does that look like and how do you think about it? And there's a thousand different ways that you could do that. 
Um, and one of the things that we always tell teachers is teach your passion. But sometimes um, we're reluctant to share with others what our passion is. And I remember a particularly stressful session around problem-based instruction and a conversation with Kelly about, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this, we could do that. And finally, Kelly just says, I just love birds. <laughs> I remember that. And I remember going, awesome, let's do everything in kindergarten through the lens of birds. And thus joined an awesome um, friendship, partnership, and learning experience for all of us. So um, I, I want to thank you, Kelly, for years and years of great opportunity to share with others that you can, in fact, find your passion. So let's start a little bit with you and that journey. So in particular, so when you think about utilizing something like, I can see how much I can teach in any given classroom through the lens of birds, for a lot of teachers, that that too would be daunting, even if it's your passion. So share with us a little bit about, as you started that process, some of the things that you were thinking about. Um, well, before you came to Armour, I had become a birder and I had gone to a birding festival and I really, it just blew me away. What was in my area that I didn't know about. And I started sharing it with the kids because frankly, my husband was tired of hearing me talk about birds. <laughs> I started telling kindergartners about it and they got excited. And it was interesting how it reminded me of kids when they first learn how to, young kids, when they first learn how to use an iPad or an iPhone and how they just love it so much. They just pick it up really quickly. This is what was happening. They saw my excitement about birds. They were picking it up. And uh, then the next year I thought, well, I'm going, I used to just do a bird unit in May. I decided to, to do a bird unit. I just start teaching it throughout the year. And that class in particular was really excited about birds. And so that's when I started doing that. And then you guys came along and you had all these ideas and they were all good, but it wasn't birds. Mm -hmm. But once you got going on that, then uh, I got pretty excited about it. Um, another thing I think kids just need to, they need to get away from the streams and, and get outdoors more. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that some kids are even afraid to be outdoors. So this was really a good thing in that way. I get kids outside, get them to be explorers, get them interested in nature, because we need to have uh, the next generation to care about nature if we're going to protect it. We do. And, and I think that you bring up a really interesting point. There's a lot of connectivity in our world today. For lots of kiddos at home, we come into school, there's this real push that we're utilizing technology all the time and in everything. And to your point, um, those things can be great, however, right? Uh, we do need to take kids, especially the young ones, those elementary kiddos need to be completely immersed because they're curious. And it's one of the things that I've loved about watching over the years. Kelly has a wonderful Facebook page called um, Bird Teach where she's often posting lots of things uh, for folks to be able to see what's happening with our kids and in her class and, and, and a thing called the Chickadee Club, which we're going to come and talk about again in a minute. And, you know, being able to watch the kids explore over time, I think has been a very powerful thing. I mean, your kiddos, once you get them out there, they're, they're not afraid and their curiosity is pretty boundless. So could you talk a little bit about some of the particular projects over the years that you've done with the kids um, that revolve around birds? Because some of them have been pretty darn inventive. Uh, yeah, one of them that 
that we did was uh, we have a lake here in town, and so we thought we would, we would, first of all, our overlying big question was, how do we get the people in our town to be, uh, to learn more about birds and care about them? And one of the things we came up with was, let's build nest boxes, right. you know, birdhouses for the birds. So we got together with, well, of course, kindergartners can't build birdhouses on their own. So we got together with a high school class and with my help, my students and I, I created a, a short PowerPoint slideshow and my kindergartners were the speakers. And they said, these are the kinds of birds we'd like to come to these birdhouses, like an eastern bluebird or a wood duck, tree swallows, house wren. And then we asked them if they could help us uh, build nest boxes for them. So then, then now the high school kids had to do some research and find some plans and then they came and talked to the kids and showed them what the plans looked like which was over their head but it's still really interesting for them to see the small parts that go into the large mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. part and so then uh, then when it was time to build the kindergartners came over complete with aprons and safety glasses from mm-hmm. Lowe's and we we watched them and helped with the measuring and the building and it was a very exciting time my students were out of this world excited and when it was done, completed, then my kids got to paint the birdhouses. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they painted the birdhouses. And then we went out and watched the high school students uh, place them at the lake. And they're still there and they're getting used. And I clean them out every year. And they're still, every year we have birds in those birdhouses. And that's that- and then another thing we do is we make a, a bird field guide to help our neighborhood or our community and so the the kids each uh, choose one or two birds i have a list of birds that are common to our area and the kids chose a bird and then we research birds and i write out they help me we decide what we're going to say about each one and then i type it up so that they can copy it onto the page and then they also draw the picture of the bird and that is one of my favorite projects mm-hmm. i love well, and both of those projects, I've seen, uh, just for our listeners, I've seen both of those projects. I was um, in town, actually, um, one of the days that Kelly's kindergarten kids and the high school kids were working on the, the actual build of the birdhouses. And I will say the um, high school kids got as much out of that experience as the kindergarten kids do. And we talk about this all the time at the Past Innovation Lab and certainly on Learning Unboxed about the fact that the most authentic audience is never going to be the teacher. Right, that authentic audience is when you're interacting with the public or another class, or in this case, a group of high school students. Those high school kids learn an awful lot from your kindergartners, and the building of the bird guide, the field guide, every year that has also been a really powerful tool. And I've got great photos of both of those things that I will make sure that they get posted up so that people who are listening can sort of see what Kelly was talking about. Uh, so those are awesome, awesome projects. So here we built a bird feeder complex for the lake with some high school students. They did most of the work this time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so that's out there and the community seems to really have embraced that. They love to see the different birds that are in the area. One of the other things that I love that you've done very, very effectively over the years is help scaffold your kiddos, not just to love and and pick up on your passion um, for birds and everything that they can learn through your passion um, for birds, but also the way the kids engage with the public about 
bird. So what I'm thinking about in particular are I've uh, seen any number of occasions where you've had kids up talking to folks, you know, in the in the city council or talking with folks from birding clubs from around the state. I mean, you've had some pretty amazing opportunities for your kids to actually engage with folks who had no idea what they were about to encounter with these little kiddos. Can right. we talk about that just a little bit? Because lots of folks, I think, are afraid of the little ones doing meaningful policy work. And at the end of the day, every time your kids are out there in public talking about why they should care about the birds in your community, it's impacting policy in your community. That's a tough thing. Lots of folks don't do that. I know it. And I think people don't expect much from little kids, but I'm telling you right now, they, they, you can expect more from them. I mean, they just really are, are amazing. And, uh, and for, when we went to talk to the city council, that was interesting. Only one of the little boys showed up, but he he was asking me a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. He was listening to the high school and saying, what does that mean? What does this mean? So he was really into it. And and then one time we went to the birding festival and I had the kids up on stage, the South Dakota birding festival, and the kids were up on stage and they I showed pictures of birds and they were IDing mm-hmm. them. And then I was playing the sounds of birds and they were IDing them. And I think uh, the audience was pretty blown away to see how capable they were. Uh, another thing, the, par- the parents are so impressed with the rise in their child's self-esteem because mm-hmm. now they're experts on something that most adults know little about. Right. Kids really, really do a good job. Their vocabulary soars. And they, you know, I learned from other birders and from from the books I read, and then I teach them, and they're going out and teaching parents and grandparents. And it's a pretty neat thing, and I get a lot of great compliments when people see me mm-hmm. and talk to me about, hey, you know, we were out on the deck, and there were these gray birds, and we didn't know what they were, so we called him Brody, and he said, and we said, hey, what is that bird? He said, dark-eyed jungle, and he ran off. <laughs> and that's perfect, because that's a huge win. Absolutely, that's a huge win. And it's not just that their vocabulary increases. Again, another one of the things that I've been so impressed with, by the way you've really been able to embrace this and utilize it in your classroom, your kiddos are not just mastering their kindergarten standards, but the reality is because they're so interested and they're so passionate about what they're doing, you often see your kids picking up first and second and even maybe beyond, depending on what it, what, what we're talking about, standards. And they may not be mastering all of those um, advanced grade standards, but they're at least being exposed to them in tangible and meaningful ways. So how, how do you think that that translates as it relates to what is happening within the elementary school itself? So if at kindergarten, you got kids coming in and you're able to get far more math standards or far more vocabulary standards in that kindergarten year than required by the state, how does that then translate to what happens with those kiddos as they move up in an elementary school? Because it's transformational for a whole school. And that's partially what, just for the outside looking in, I saw happening at Armour School. You are, you are all growing collectively. Yeah, I think I'm setting the, the foundation for science, learning the scientific method, mm-hmm. you know, looking at something and wondering, you know, we got to remember when they were, they're not that far from babies, toddlers and preschoolers where they're trying to figure out the world and learn about themselves and other people and how things work. And so I, I feel like they just need to keep that going, keep them wondering and asking questions. And I try to get them to, you know, rather than tell them things, I ask them things. 
and uh, and get them outside so that they can see things firsthand. For example, like uh, when I want to teach about animals that are different, we, we, we have real binoculars that we use. So we go outside and we look at things like a turkey vulture soaring and we'll look at them and then I'll point out the chimney swifts that are also flying over and we'll look at them and I'll talk to them like, you know, how are they, how are they the same? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. They're both birds, they're flying. How are they different? Well, what do you think they eat? Do you know anything about them? And then after we look at them and they're all excited about seeing these birds, then we can go in and talk about, well, how can we find out more? Well, we can ask someone, we can, we can get books, we can go online and look. So I think it's a great way to teach them, you know, how to wonder and the pro- kind of the process to go through. Yeah, and it's it's part of back to your point, you know, they're these kids are still very very curious. They're they're young. They're five. They're six years old. They're trying to figure out the world. You know, everybody remembers that little kid who asked why a thousand times. But that's what you want. And the reality is, for whatever reason, and I think that there it's a long list to some extent. You know, as kids get older, especially once they hit middle school and into high school, we've oftentimes sort of forced the why question out of them, right? It's disruptive or it's whatever. But the reality is the greatest learning is happening in at the point where they're asking the question or when as they're doing work, they're doing projects with you and something doesn't work and you have them modify. Those are the two ends of that design cycle spectrum where kids are learning the most. And they're the two ends that often in schools we let go of first. And it's really unfortunate because your kids... Um, they ask really great questions. Every time I walked to your classroom, it, I was blown away by some of the questions they would ask or the things that they would tell me because they obviously thought I needed to know. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that when I have visitors. <laughs> have visitors come in the room and they're like, guess what? We know 150 birds. Uh-huh. And they want to tell their favorite ones and why it's their favorite one. It's like, this person's like, I just stopped in to get some markers. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's good. That's an awesome thing. So uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the Chickadee Club in the sense that, you know, um, I remember as when when you first started um, with the Chickadee Club as that mechanism for kids who were leaving your classroom but wanted to stay engaged with you. So I know that teachers oftentimes struggle with figuring out how do I keep up the momentum on something if I've got active and engaged learners who want to continue down that path. And I, I think your solution was a pretty creative one because it's not just a hangout club. You're doing stuff. So talk to us a little bit about the Chickadee Club. Well, one thing about me is I don't like wasting time. So if <laughs> I'm going to do this, this is going to be, <laughs> going to be valuable. And so I, I did feel that way. And actually, it wasn't even my idea. A friend brought it up and said, you know, you should do something to keep this going. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. So at first on Fridays, the teachers didn't have any breaks, no specials. So we would swap. And uh, one, I'd have one kids, I'd have the second graders come in and, and we'd do Chickadee Bird Club with just them and my kids. I'd just do like a 20-minute lesson and then she'd have mine at a part of a day so I could have a break. And she loved basketball. So she would take them in the gym and teach them some skills. And so that was a Friday thing for a while. And then uh, then later on, we just, I decided I'd rather do it after school so I could get, uh, you know, anybody in the mm-hmm. case. Well, that wanted to come in. And so last year I had 40 students signed up. They weren't all able to come all the time. And as soon as sports started, then I lost quite a few 
because they were busy with sports in the fifth grade. But uh, we really like it. I try to do outings whenever we can. Mm -hmm. And I take them to the lake or around town. And what's funny is along the way, it's not always about birds. You know, there's a log. Well, let's see if we can lift that log. Uh That's just the way kids think. So they got the log above their heads. Hey, look, there's all these (laughs) bugs on the ground. Look at these worms. Ooh, you know. And uh, well, why are there big cracks in the ground? You know, so there's all kinds of signs. Mm -hmm. It's not just about birds. But uh, in the classroom, if it's a cold day and we can't go out or raining, then I usually have a lesson prepared, you know, like maybe about the sandhill cranes that have been flying over by the thousands. So I teach them about sandhill mm-hmm. cranes, teach them the sound, tell them, you know, watch for the white ones. That's the whooping cranes. Then they can be coming along too and they're endangered. So there's just so many different mm-hmm. lessons I can teach them. And uh, they seem like they really enjoy it. And I have some kids that are just there, you know, just because they sort of like birds, but there's some that are really, mm-hmm. really into birds. And they uh, they can't wait, mm-hmm. and it makes them so happy. Yeah, well, yeah, as as it should, as it should. And forty kids. I mean, even if it's not consistent, that that is that's huge. That's quite an accomplishment in a school that's you know a hundred and ten kids. That's wow, Kelly. That's pretty impressive. Um, and. And so some of the projects then, in addition to the exploration, does because I know our listeners are thinking about, oh, wow, you know, my favorite thing is um, fruit trees or putting up preserves, or I'm just, just randomly thinking. The reality is what you've managed to do by tapping into your passion as a person and as a teacher and pushing that into your students, you can be able to create some really um, imaginative projects, some real applied chance for your kids to actually practice whatever the content is that you're trying to teach them. So what kind of projects are you doing with Chickadee Club that maybe you wouldn't necessarily do or you're able to blow out a little bit differently than in your classroom? Because I assume the Chickadee Club then is because of the numbers in the community, those are kids in multiple grade levels. They are. And so are you are you doing some stuff with that group that you're not doing in your classroom or that are extensions thereof because you have older students in the group or is it more of the same, just more of it? Uh, We're not really doing projects like community projects because it's hard to, I don't know, I might have to start doing that. I'm sorry, I, I wasn't really trying do. to give you ideas, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, I, don't really, I don't really do community projects with them, mm-hmm. but if I could think of some, I would do them. Mm-hmm. So give me some ideas. <laughs> but, uh, I can do more advanced things and talk a lot mm-hmm. about the geography, uh, weather, and how it affects birds, how, how people affect birds, and how birds help people. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I can get a little, a lot deeper in that in those grades than I can with just my younger students. Yeah, and so I think that um, circling back around then, and again, we will be um, posting some resources for our listeners. But I also think it's important to share that as part of the journey, you have done a very, very good job of being a teacher that's not only being creative in that space, but also sharing back out with the world. So I mentioned earlier about the bird teach 
Facebook page, but but you're also you've been writing, you've produced a few things where you're talking about your journey, both in teaching and as a birder. So um, share with us a couple of those um, pieces that you've done, just in terms of not necessarily what, what they are. We'll we'll get from you the links and whatnot, and post the things that we're allowed to post. But what what kind of things are you putting out there in the world, or what kind of venues? Because other teachers who are awesome, just like you, um, wouldn't necessarily know. Well, how would I go about doing that piece of it? Because it's an important piece of the work. So where, where, for example, have you posted or submitted things that have been published? Because it's, it's the, the things that you have done, they're actually an interesting variety, unlike what I see sometimes um, in other folks. Yeah, you know, I see what's happening. I see how excited the kids are about birds and nature. And I just, uh, I have families that are now taking their kids out birding. I have the duck hunting dad who takes his son out to look for ducks and the kids naming the ducks off left and right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's just so many neat things. Uh, grandparents are really getting involved. And so I just feel like I have to share out and I have to get other people, well, to, to try to do something with their kids and take them out. And I remind them that they're not always going to stay on past. Right. They might up a stick and have a sword fight or throw rocks or try to catch a frog and that's okay but uh just getting them out there and and pointing out the birds and being supportive by uh buying them field guides and bird toys and uh bird feeders but uh one of the ways up is the south dakota conservation digest they have a kids edition Mm. and uh I just wrote up something about spring birds on the way and I just sent it to him and I said, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but I think uh, people might like to know what, when to expect certain birds, like the mm-hmm. ducks, mm-hmm. And the pelicans, and because they all come in different, at different times, the sparrows and the shorebirds. And so I sent it in and once you know, it got, <laughs> published. And then I, uh, I authored another one for them called When I Grow Up, Being a Birder. And uh, so it was all about what it's like to be a bird. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of my favorite articles that's mm-hmm. also in the Conservation Digest. I did, um, uh, actually, someone from Birds and Blooms magazine contacted me and asked me to write up something about birding on the job uh, in the classroom. So mm-hmm. I wrote up what it's like to incorporate birds into my teaching and how it makes such a difference. And I had another one called How I Taught My Kindergartner, Kindergarten Kids to Identify Hundreds of Birds. And that was on the VR Teachers website. Mm-hmm. They paid me for that one. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but lots of places that teachers could think to put stuff. And I think that teachers don't necessarily or wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have known, hey, I could be in the Conservation Digest or I could write. But but the reality of it is, not only are you putting that out for other like-minded folks um, who would be reading Conservation Digest, but you're also leading the way for an entity like a Conservation Digest or your local travel magazine or your, your, your state publication to reach into what's happening in the classroom because that's not necessarily always their common resource for getting content and material to put in. Sometimes they're doing a better job um, tapping into education, but the reality is oftentimes they're not out looking for that content specifically. And when teachers 
have the courage to write into them, right? And it takes, you you have to be willing to put yourself out there, right? For them to say, oh no, we're not interested or we really hate this. Not that that's ever, you know, necessarily going to happen. But but I think oftentimes folks don't recognize the potential opportunity to put the work that you're doing in the classroom out into a sphere that's not just traditional education. And I think maybe that's the message I'm trying to to get folks to embrace with the work that you've done, that you have taken what you're doing in classroom and putting it out in front of folks in a broad array of fields of disciplines of, of things that they're reading or experiences. And that's meaningful because it is actively moving the teaching profession. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, I did have to take a chance. Many times I've had to step out of my comfort zone <laughs> in this process, this being one of them. You're, you're doing great. <laughs> and I just, uh, I really needed to, I just had to tell people what's going on because I don't think they believe me. I mean, but it's believable. So mm-hmm. uh, the South Dakota Public Broadcasting came and filmed us. Uh, they're doing a piece, a five-minute piece mm-hmm. on birding in South Dakota. And they came and filmed the Chickadee Bird Club in the spring. So that should be out on Facebook at any time. Yay. And uh, I think he, well, I know he was really surprised what he was yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah, so. Well, I mean, like I said, there's a reason that I talk about this kindergarten classroom. Um, and I've talked about it all over the world in my my travels with past. And one of the reasons I do is because of the fact that every time I walked into that classroom, I was in fact blown away by how much your kids knew about birds and the whole notion that, you know, a hundred plus bird identifications by sound, by looking, and they're coming out of five-year-olds. People just have a hard time believing that that is even possible. But not only is it possible that it just, it was, it was a very natural progression because in the kids, I would argue they fed off of the passion that they saw in you back to your original statement. That's powerful. The learning is huge. And I think that it sends the message that if we tap into those passions and we utilize our classroom as a mechanism for the purposes of engagement, not just the teaching and learning that meets the state standard, that we can get our kids so much farther, that much faster. I think so too. And you have to believe in your kids and give them some credit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one thing I want to make clear is I don't teach birds all day. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> month or two, it's just, I mean, it is overwhelming in kindergarten. <laughs> some kids don't recognize their names. Some kids yeah. don't read. I mean, it's just right. a really, it's so, so different. And so just trying to get situated. But uh, right away at the beginning, they're asking me like questions like, uh, why do you like birds so much? Mm-hmm. When are you going to teach us about birds? You haven't even taught us about birds. <laughs> All these expectations. And uh, and so that's kind of neat. But really, you know, the kindergarten has changed so much. And now it's like I teach first grade. Mm-hmm. And so I have to teach them how to read by the end of the year and how to write sent- two sentences. I mean, it's really, there's really a lot on my plate. And uh, so like the whole morning is dedicated to reading. So I spend almost the whole morning teaching reading. But when I can, it can improve incorporate birds, I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, our mornings, we do talk about birds because bird reports are coming in from all different grade levels. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> they come in, oh my gosh, I saw red-winged blackbird. <laughs> I'm so excited. And the other kids are all listening like, whoa, what's that? So then, mm-hmm. so 
our opening has to do about birds. I always have a bird of the day. That's when awesome. I do a letter, we have three ABC books of birds. And so we look at that letter. And then at story time, a lot of my, when I'm not reading uh, fiction, then I'll read mm-hmm. uh, nonfiction bird, bird books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I just fit it in whenever I can. And then sometimes we'll have a little break, five minutes in between where everybody's tired of thinking. And then I'll go, hey, let's look at these bird flashcards. Here's some of the birds that you might see in your yard. And so I'll get get them mm-hmm. started that way. You so keep bringing them back to it though. but And that keeps right. it front of mind for the kiddos. Yeah. And that keeps it front of mind in your classroom and the work that you're doing. And I think that is a fabulous, fabulous strategy. So as we sort of get wrapped up here, I always like to end this program recognizing that there are teachers out there that are hearing this and going, oh, wow. You know, what Kelly's doing is really awesome. I don't care about birds, but I really love ceramics or I really love lizards or the list could be really long, right? How could I think about incorporating more of that thing that I love into my own teaching and learning. So if you had some advice for teachers, because they're always asking, well, what should I know? You know, is there like one big stumbling block that I should be prepared for? And or are there some easy wins? So what would you like to leave these folks with, Kelly? I think just working it in and talking about it and getting them excited about it at first, because actually when I start talking about birds at the beginning of the year, there isn't a lot of excitement or enthusiasm for them. There really isn't. But I I have a wall of windows in my room. And so as we start seeing like the snow goose migration mm-hmm. flying over our playground, then I'm like, oh, guys, let's go outside quick. And we'll go out and we'll watch them. And it's loud and, mm-hmm. and, and beautiful. And then they start they start understanding, oh my gosh, this is exciting. And uh, I think you just have to start introducing it to them and and uh, go ahead and let them see you passionate about mm-hmm. it. Uh, I read a lot and a lot of books about birds and they do like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think the two carry ways that I sort of see from that is one, you know, embrace your passion, live it, right? You know, and they said, just acknowledge it. And then so you put it out there. But the other is to sort of gently step folks in. I think that was a, that's a great strategy for folks. You don't have to just leap in all at once, full on, but, you know, just start working the kids um, into it. Because, you know, if, if I had a teacher come in and say, hey, we are going to spend a lot of time thinking about knitting this year, which is awesome, but I don't know a thing about knitting and I'm not sure that I care about knitting any more than I might not care about birth. Birds, but I could get there because my teacher is so passionate about it. And there's a little there. There's something to be said for the enthusiasm being brought to the table, right? I, I do think that's really. And you know, I also have um, lots of different. I've come up with lots of different ways to incorporate birds. Like when I have to teach kids the first sounds and words, so I'll say, "What's the first sound you hear in uh, chickadee?" Yeah. Ooh. You know, things like that. Uh, when we have to learn syllables, I use birds mm-hmm. for syllables. I use birds for math when we're doing story problems. Uh, when we're learning describing words, adjectives, and then I say, okay, what what do you see? Oh, and that's something I forgot to tell you is noticing the details. Mm-hmm. Kids notice details so much more than they did before I taught birds. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll be reading a book I've read for 30 years and they're Pointing out things <laughs> in the illustrations I have never seen before <laughs> because they are just so tuned in to look for looking for mm-hmm. different and looking they can I don't know it's really interesting how mm-hmm. it's all worked out. 
It's fabulous. Thank you very much, Kelly, for uh, giving us some time today, sharing your story, indulging me. I've been after uh, Kelly for for a bit of time to do uh, to do an episode um, with me. So thank you very much for stepping out of your comfort zone for um, being such a beautiful leader, um, both in your classroom and in your community and school, um, and for the rest of us. I am grateful every day for having met Kelly Preheim. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Annalise. And thank you for being such a great role model for me and encouraging me to step out of my comfort zone now and then. I'm looking... Oh, you are so welcome. And I am looking forward to the to the next iteration. We'll, we'll, find, we'll find a new project to do together, I promise you. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up step back and lean in to reimagine education.